You are listening to Savage Wonder, a podcast about warriors and artists. It's long-form one-on-one conversations with veterans in the arts. This show is produced by the Veterans Repertory Theater, which is a creative hub for talented veterans and world-class performers to create compelling live theater and events. My guest today was Anton Sattler. Anton is... um, Someone I've had my eye on uh, for a while as a writer to watch. Um, he's a combat decorated Marine Corps officer. He was a Marine Corps infantry officer. Um, he first came to my attention when I saw that his second play that he wrote called Local Gods had won the Bridge Award from Arts in the Armed Forces in 2020. Arts in the Armed Forces, for those of you guys that may not remember, is Adam Driver's uh, organization and they, you know, exist mostly to do readings of established plays or plays that would, um, resonate with a military audience, but they have their bridge awards, I believe one in screenwriting and one in playwriting. Anyway, Anton won the playwriting bridge award in 2020. Um, so when you hear him in the interview reference, ATAF, uh, that's what we're talking about is arts in the armed forces. And his first play, I should mention, was actually a semi-finalist for the Bridge Award. So um, both of the two plays he has written have had a pretty good you know, critical acclaim and have stood out against pretty stiff competition. Um, I, I should probably come clean that uh, when I say I have my eye on him creatively, what I, what I mean is um, when we were launching our initial playwriting competitions, I um, sought out. Uh, playwrights, you know, that from other competitions, because I had no idea what the quality would be. And I was like, well, you know, there's, um, you know, I know there's not a lot of veteran veterans in the acting space. Um, I imagine there's more veteran writers and that certainly is what we wanted to foster, but I didn't know what we were going to get. So um, in doing research and seeing other playwriting competitions that were going on, I made a point of reaching out to, um, uh, several playwrights whose plays had won or, or been finalists in other competitions um, that, and were veterans. Uh, Anton, I did not reach out to because he was actually, he doesn't know this, and I don't even think I mentioned to him in the episode, he was the one that got me, gave me the idea uh, because he submitted his work to us. And I was like, man, I know that name. How do I know? Where do I know him from? And I was like, oh, yeah, he won Arts in the Armed Forces. So um, then I got the idea. I was like, hey, I wonder if everyone else that was submitting stuff for Arts in the Armed Forces knows about our competition. So I made a point of reaching out to them. So uh, anyway, so he was a force multiplier uh, unwittingly in, in kind of giving me the idea to uh, you know make sure we were getting in as many playwrights, as many playwrights as possible, knew about these competitions. Um, what I didn't know until I, until I started researching Anton really for this episode uh, was how prolific and how trained a writer he was prior to being in the military that he had really been in, uh, you know, studying film and fiction at the university of Pittsburgh. And if you know anything about the university of Pittsburgh, especially when Anton was there, because he graduated in 2002. So from 1998 to 2002, university of Pittsburgh's undergrad writing programs were um, really well regarded. Um, Michael Chabon, if I'm not mistaken, was on the faculty there. He may still be for all I know, 
But um, if you guys remember his book, which became a movie called Wonder Boys, starring Michael Douglas and Tobey Maguire and Robert Downey Jr., among others, Francis McDormand. Anyway, great flick. Uh, that came out in 2000, um, which kind of chronicled Michael Chabon's um, life as a professor or, you know, a fictionalized version of an avatar of himself uh, being a writing professor at the University of Pittsburgh. So anyway, point being, University of Pittsburgh has a, uh, is a prestigious undergrad writing um, school or known for its, under, uh, its undergrad writing programs. Um, so for Anton to be studying film and fiction there and then win two awards, he won the Taub. I believe it's Taub. I never actually said it on air with him. So if I'm mispronouncing it, he, he's not around to correct me. But I, I believe it's the Taub and the Montgomery Culver Award. And he won those for a trilogy of short stories that he wrote, which is a heck of an accomplishment. And then he promptly turned around and joined the Marines as an infantry officer. Um, anyway, we'll get into his whole biography and how things end up developing for him, both inside the Marine Corps and then outside the Marine Corps as a writer. Um, but it culminated or it culminated as far as, you know, his interactions with me in his writing local gods and when we read it and it's um as i tell him in the episode i am probably not alone in this uh but i am uh allergic in many cases to melodrama uh and his piece can be melodramatic in places uh it's also exceptionally well done and it as i tell him it 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 broke me a couple times um reading it it was just um, as war stories go, it was very, um, you know, is very moving and insightful and interesting and uh, poignant. And it was just, um, and it worked. It worked uh, as as a drama, um, which is again something I'm biased against. So it was an even more exceptional piece of writing for that. So to be able to sit down and talk with them uh, about the play and about, uh, you know, how he came up with the characters, um, especially because it is such a, it appears to be so autobiographical until you wonder where he is in the play, that there's no direct avatar, it seems, for him. So figuring out, you know, getting answers as to how he came up with these characters, why this story, um, why did a Marine infantry officer with combat experience write a play starring a female army military police officer. It just seemed peculiar. Um, that's really what I'm trying to get at saying. Uh, so it was great to be able to get those questions answered, find out more about Anton, his process, all the different kinds of writing he has done and is continuing to do. Um, it, it was just a great time. He's also just a really great guy to talk to. I really enjoyed talking to him. Um, I think like most people that have done stuff worthwhile in life, he has a natural humility and honesty and integrity that, um, I don't know, kind of shined through for me in the interview. So I really enjoyed talking with him. And um, I think that's all the level setting I have to do for you to fully appreciate what we're about to say. I explained what ATAF is, so you're going to hear that referenced a bunch in the episode. Um, yeah. I think that's pretty much all you need to know for to fully enjoy the episode. I'm Christopher Paul Meyer. 
I'm the artistic director of Vet Rep, and this is the Savage Wonder of Anton Sattler. Dude, welcome to the show. Thanks. Great to be here. Are you home or are you at work? No, I'm uh, I'm at home today. Okay. I'm, uh, yeah. Partial partial work from home, and we got today off for Juneteenth. So, it seems to me that you are. This is going to sound kind of a strange thing to say, but I feel like you. And this is just from what I've been able to like Google recon about you yeah. and your work. But it seems like you really fall in love hard with the places that you live. Is that fair to say? Uh, yeah, I guess so. I mean, I've, I don't know if I fall in love. I fell in love too hard with like 29 Palms when I was there. But, uh, <laughs> okay. Fair enough. All right. With yeah, some notable yeah. exceptions, but I, I say that because it seems like you based so, uh, so much of your playwriting, at least so far, it seems around Pittsburgh and your mm-hmm. love of Pittsburgh. I mean, I think there's an inherent love if you're going to write that much about it, whether it's a love hate sure. thing, but there's certainly a big emotional investment. And then, it seems like you're a big enthusiast of Queens and New York city and everything going on creatively there. And that's kind of, um, I don't know. Am I, am I totally off on this? Am I making something up out of old cloth? No, but I mean, those are the two places. I think you're right. Uh, those are the two places that I've lived the longest, you know, like my, my entire upbringing was in, in Pittsburgh, the Pittsburgh suburbs, and uh, went to school there for my undergrad. And you know, the first time I, I left to go live somewhere else was when I joined the Marines after I graduated. Wow. And then uh, leaving the Marines, uh, I moved to New York because my girlfriend, Jackie, who is now my wife, uh, grew up in Queens and we had a long distance relationship. And uh, you know, when I got out, it was sort of like, we're either gonna give this thing like a real shot, I'm gonna move to New York, or like, uh, you know, it's probably not going to work out. And that's, that's what I did. Uh, so, so let's talk about, I mean, I feel like you're one of those interviews that I, I probably should really do this in chronological order. Cause it seems like there were very sure. clear gear shifts that happened for you <laughs> in your life. So let's start way before the Marine Corps. Let's even start mm-hmm. before university of Pittsburgh. Um, in high school, were you, were you a writer? Were you I mean, an athlete, what, what, what were you? Cause clearly you had a lot yeah. of writing talent. Um, yeah, I would say like, I mean, maybe junior high, high school. I mean, first thing, like I, yeah, I played sports growing up, like loved football. Like that was my favorite sport. Um, I, my, my mom, like, you know, she always said like, I wanted to have an artist as a, as a kid. So like stuck a paint, paintbrush in your hand when you were three and like, you know, I'm sure that had something to do with it. But like my parents always encouraged me and my brothers, whether it was sports, music, like whatever we were going to get into, like they, they encouraged us. Like there was never like, that's, that's a useless pursuit. Like there was never any of that. Okay. Um, and I, I loved comic books growing up. I wanted to be a comic book artist. And then like, I got into writing a bit whenever I was in high school, um, you know, thinking like, well, who's going to hire me to go draw their comic books. So like, maybe I need to like write my own. Um, and then decided to go to film school, uh, just because like, it was like, oh yeah, people have to write movies. Like there's, there's a script, like, you know, I didn't know anything. Uh, sure. so I went to, went to school for film and for fiction writing as a double major and, uh, won a couple of fiction writing awards and like, didn't do any internships, had like no plans. And it was like, well, you know, I could join, I could join the Marines. That's something I've wanted to do also since I was like a little kid. So, uh, 
that seems to be the only thing that I'm suited for at the moment because I have I have no real marketable skills. Doesn't feel like. Well, it's it's strange. I mean, obviously. So correct me if I'm wrong, but you went in the Marines yeah. in 2002, right? I did. I did. Yeah, it was like right after 9/11, basically. Yeah. So maybe let's let's talk about that. What was 9/11 sure. for you? Did that were you one of the people that's deeply affected by it? Was it just well, hey, this seems like a logical course of events that I joined the Marines regardless of 9/11. What was that? No, like? I mean. Yeah, I mean, I guess I always wanted to join the Marines, and maybe that's the only pursuit my parents had a, a little bit of uh, pushback on. Like, sure. I went and talked to a recruiter, and they were like, "Why don't you wait till you finish school, like go to college first, and then, and then decide whether you want to join or not?" You know. And nine uh, eleven uh, happened, and I think like a lot of people, like I just, you know, I can remember being, I, uh, I had a work study uh, job in the theater department. My mom had taught me how to sew, believe it or not. And like, I and I was looking in theater and film and I was like, you know, are there any work study gigs there? And there was one in the costume shop. So like, I was like a seamstress during wow. college and it got, wow. and it got me some great, it got some great gigs as like a, as like a dresser and in some of the other costume shops like around, cause they would, you know, if there was a show that was running behind on the costumes, they'd call the, the universities and say like, Hey, do you have sure. any work study students who can come and put in some hours and get these things done for us? And so like, it was, it was a really cool experience. Uh, um, but I can remember being in like the costume shop and like there was all these news reports coming over the radio about planes hitting towers and everybody was like, oh, that's crazy. And then it was like, oh, and a plane hit the Pentagon. Another plane went down in Pennsylvania. And like it became really clear really fast that this was like something else. And uh, I think whenever I like I, I just remember going home and like watching, I'm sure like everybody did, like you're, you're just watching the news nonstop and seeing the images of towers go down and people you know, jumping out of them. And it's like, it's, it's impossible not to be emotional and sure. I'm sure everybody process it different, but like, I just, I think like a lot of people who joined the military, like you, you felt really kind of like horrified, sad, but then like this, this deep anger of like, we have to do something like this can't happen. Yep. Um, and like, you know, decide whether what we did afterwards was the right course of action or not. I mean, I right, think the whole country right. decided even including our leaders, like, yeah, we have to do something. And it's like, I, uh, I, I stood in that for a little while. And then as graduation came close, I went down and I talked to the OSO and, uh, and signed up and I didn't really tell my parents until it was sort of like kind of a done. It was like, Hey, I, I signed up. I, I, I took, like, I went down and passed my physical, like, wow. you know, wow. and, and I'm, and I'm going and, and, um, did you feel like you needed you know, to, did you feel like you I, needed I to do that I, without their approval? Like before and just kind of get that ball moving. So you could, I did. Say, like, I, I, I think I just needed, like, I didn't really talk to anybody about, it, it was just like, I, I got to do this. Um, like it's, it's necessary for me. It's, it's my path. And like, I, I, I have to make this decision on my own without going. And, and I think that was probably the best way to do it. And I think it's the best way for anybody to do it. And I've had, plenty of people like send their kids like, Oh, my kids think about joining the Marines or the army or the Navy or whatever. I like, talk to them. And I'm like, I tell every, I, I don't encourage it. I don't discourage it. I'm just like, it's your, it's gotta be your decision. Yeah. You can't be sold. If somebody's trying to sell you on it, then like, you know, maybe it's not the right path for you. Like you have to decide it's, it's what you've got to do. Um, what about, what about the not, other way? What about discouraging? It, it, it sometimes has to be your own path, regardless of any discouragement you get. That too. too. Right. Yeah, that too. And, and, you know, and if people ask me questions, like, I'm, yeah, I, I'll, I'll be honest about my experience. It's kind of like, you have to decide if that's what you want to get into. Like, yeah. it's not, it's not, it's not going to be a movie. It's not going to be a recruiting commercial. Like, 
<laughs> quite honestly, even if you don't go anywhere that's like like da- dangerous or violent, like you're going to be incredibly fucking bored a lot of the time. It, it's like <laughs> like don't be shocked whenever you're you're police calling a, a, a you know a parking lot or sweeping dirt off of dirt like in the afternoon because like that, there's nothing else for them to tell you to do. Uh, I know, you know. <laughs> I, my my images of uh, the times I work with uh, Marines and and uh, uh, God, I just remember countless airfields. I saw Marines just camped out at where they'd come into country <laughs> and they were just huddled up. And because it was, you know, Marines, oh yeah. my God, the dress right dressism and just having to be locked down there and just seething like wanting to do something and just being pent up there and then they'd fly out and nothing would have happened and they were just yeah uh, i was like oh god that sucks i just i feel that that angst yeah i mean i mean i think i'm not it's like it's a theory that i came up with like many discussions and probably many discussions i was never a part of but like you, you start to realize that like maybe this is a part of the system like this is this this is like why we have the reputation we have is that like the the entire institution is designed to just keep you kind of like irritated or pissed off oh or, or whatever, like all, so the, true. all the time. So that like yeah. when it's when it's ready to go to go to work, like you have the the proper level of aggression to get out of your body. <laughs> well, culturally, what was that yeah. shift like for you? I mean, you were pretty immersed in the theater film, you know, mm-hmm. pipeline. And now to, I mean, was, was there at all cultural shock for you of going, holy crap, this is really different, or did you embrace it? Or just what was that response like for you? No, I mean, it wasn't, um, it wasn't, I wouldn't say it was like a huge shock. It was like, uh, you know, I, um, after high school, I didn't play any more organized sports. Like I had trained in, in martial arts since I was like 14 or 15 and uh, continued in, in college. Um, I had a, a buddy who was like, um, you know, a, a title holding uh amateur Muay Thai fighter and work out at a gym. And like, you know, I would, I would go work out with him and his buddies. I would go, you know, if he, if they were going to go do like a workout with some, some of the, like the professional or semi-pro boxers, like I would go down and work out with them. Okay. Um, you know, playing football, like really aggressive sport. I loved it. It was sure. like, you know, so like being in that kind of a, an environment of like physical and mental challenge and dealing with, with failure, sometimes like, you know, a rapid series of failures and still picking yourself up and, and, and pushing through it, it was like, uh, you know, I had done that. And, I, and even before I left, it was kind of like, uh, they, they told you like about how good a shape you should be in before you go to OCS. And I was not a runner. Like I had never run yeah. more than like a mile or two of my life before I signed up. And I was like, well, I'm going to run 13 miles before I leave. Like they were like, as long as you can run like a seven or eight minute mile at whatever pace or eight miles. And I was like, well, then I'm going to run, I'm going to run a half marathon. Like before I leave, if I can do that, then I should be okay. Um, so it was like, going down there the physical and like the mental aspects of it were like okay i've i've pushed myself into this realm before like i've been uh you know even playing football like the, the, the parallels between football and yeah honestly in the military are like so close and i can even remember like a a friend who had like a young son when i was in college and he was like i don't want to i don't know if i want my kid to play football just because it's like it's a little too militaristic i was like really you think so like, i don't know it's like <laughs> it's great it teaches discipline and like hard work and teamwork like you know and like everybody kind of like you know rises and falls together like it's it's kind of an environment you can't get in a lot of other sports like yeah. you know yeah. at least at that level and uh but then i yeah, go, going to ocs i was like oh yeah this is this is a bit like football practice on steroids yep yep yeah <laughs> and, well and and also um 
Well, for the for, it's funny you say all that. I, I was actually thinking while you're saying that I had a there was like a legendary history teacher at my high school. Uh, he was, mm-hmm. Everyone loved him. He was very well known in the school and, and really loved in the school. But he was he was a combat veteran uh, Marine officer uh, from Vietnam from the Vietnam era. Mm-hmm. And but of course he was the football coach. And he talked yeah. about how he got through Vietnam with his buddy just by diagramming football plays and coming up with new schemes and all that. And that was their way of keeping sane. But I just thinking about that, we were talking about the synergy between football and, and the military. Um, yeah. I think that's, you know, that was probably a very granular example, but yeah, I think there's undoubtedly that with that being said though, what was that like for mm-hmm. you then just to be in the theater and arts community as somebody that was incredibly physically active Um how did you find that meant then maybe culturally was that, did you feel like this is cool? This is scratching an itch, but there's another mm-hmm. part of me that wants to just bare my teeth and get after something physically and accomplish something physically. Or, or did you feel satiated? Like if nine 11 hadn't happened, you'd have been cool. Just, you know, trying to make your way artistically. Um, I don't know. Like that's a hard, that's a hard question to answer, I guess. Cause like it did happen, but like, you know, like I said, I, I had a, I had a desire to join the Marines from like a pretty young age. So like maybe I would have still signed up had that not happened, but it certainly made it like, like this is kind of the only, the only decision, like this is the only, the only option. Um, and I remember, uh, I don't even know what my knee injury was, but like, uh, I don't even know if I've told anybody this, but like I, I was running, I was training so much that like I had an, an injury to like, I, it was probably like one of my MCLA. I don't know. I'm not a, not a, I don't know anything about anatomy, but like the, the tendon on the outside back of my knee was like oh, I, yeah. I could have yeah, torn was... I could have torn it or something, but like it was yeah. it was messed up, and it was like two weeks before I was supposed to leave, and I was like I could tell my OSO and like I could postpone, but I was like afraid that if I postponed I would never go, and I just nursed the hell out of it, and then like went anyway, and whenever I was down there it was like after runs after workouts like at night after they did lights off I was like stretching the hell out of my knee at night just because I was like I gotta. You know, and by like, the third week that we were there, it kind of healed on its own. But just the wow. benefit of being like, you know, 22 years old and your, yeah. your body has like a, a much higher healing factor. But, yeah. Uh, but it, se- it seems like know, there was probably like, a part of you that really, I mean, I'm, I'm again, I'm, I'm not trying yeah. to project here, but it seems like yeah. there was a part of you that wanted to get after something physically. Like you were, you were up yeah. for a fight. Yeah. And I, and I don't know. I don't know where that comes from. I mean, like, I know there's like fear, there's like all kinds of like theories that people are like, Oh no, that's bad. Like, you know, <laughs> say that like, like men are like pre-wired, like, especially going into their twenties for, but like, uh, to say that, like, I wasn't, I wasn't like hungry for an opponent. Like, I, I don't know if it goes far as saying like an enemy, right? but like, but like I was, I was looking for something to push back against. Like I, I wanted something that was really, whether it was physical, mental, emotional, like, I wanted, I wanted to climb a mountain. It was really hard yeah. to climb. Yeah. And like, and like, I, and I needed, and I needed it and I didn't know what that thing was, but like, you know, join, joining the military certainly presents, a it presents that like, if you have nothing else to aim at like that, that will certainly give it to you. Um, let me, let me ask you, I, I'm going to kind of break my chronological stream sure. here. Just to ask you this, do you think, and I know, I know it's a hypothetical, but because you'd already won awards as a writer in college, mm-hmm. you already had talent that was, that was manifesting itself that you were actualizing. Mm-hmm. Do you think you would be 
more accomplished, less accomplished, as accomplished uh, as a writer. And, and let me qualify by that by saying, when I mm-hmm. say accomplished, I mean able to express your thoughts the way you want and present your ideas the way you want. Do you think you'd be as competent, less competent, more competent if yeah. you'd never joined the military? Or do you think um, that the, the military helped in any way? I would say, I, I would say, I don't know if the military itself helped, but the experiences that I had certainly helped. And, uh, you know, I think, I think there are like, it's like all of my experiences, like I will probably not be able to make sense of all of them ever, but like the, the benefits to me personally of having joined the Marine Corps and the people I met during and after and the experiences I had during and after and being part of the military community, like I don't know that I would have developed into like the writer that I am now. Like, I don't, I don't know if, who knows? It's like, it's, it's a, it's a another dimension, right? Like some other, some other, you know, timeline where like, I I chose not to go and like, who, who knows, but um, it would be hard for me to imagine that I would have developed the same way. Um, And I I mean, I, I, after getting out of the Marine Corps, um, you know, trying to grasp for like what to do next other than like moving to New York to, you know, give, give my relationship with Jackie a shot and kind of like looking for something, wanted to join, you know, I wanted to make movies, wanted to work in film. New York yeah. is like probably the second best place to be. And um, I had like a, a military to corporate recruiter who was like working with me, got me a bunch of job interviews. And I was just like, I can't do it. Like, I, like you know, yeah. it was like some really good jobs, with good companies. I was like, I can't. And he was like, look, man, I got another buddy of mine who's in Jersey. He's trying to do the exact same thing. You are infantry guy. Like, you know, and I can't get him to take a job either. So maybe you guys could talk and work something out. And uh, so we like, I, I met up with him. Uh, seems Brian Iglesias, uh, all, he was also in Ramadi like a year before me. And like, we, we met up, started talking movies and writing and uh, had a couple of beers. And he had this idea for a documentary called Chosen, C-H-O-S-I-N, Chosen Reservoir Campaign. Um, it was like a one page kind of like concept um, and, and there was a chapter of the chosen few that met at his reserve center every month. And he talked to those guys and like, they were kind of mildly interested. And, uh, I was like, look, man, is you, if you get this thing off the ground, like I'm, I'm in like, whatever it is, I don't care. Like you want me to like, just make phone calls, get coffee, whatever. Like if you get this thing off the ground, I'm, I'm in, just call me. And he called me like the next day and was like, Hey, you want to be my co-producer on this thing? And I was like, yeah, let's do it. And like risk tolerance being through the roof, like only two years since my last combat deployment, kind of the same for him. And it was like, we just, we put every, you know, basically unpaid for 18 months, like put cash out of our life savings, whatever we could kind of scrap together cash wise. Uh, we got a, a nonprofit umbrella thing for like sponsorship from uh, IFP uh, down in Brooklyn. And uh, that allows us, allowed us to raise some other money, like tax, you know, tax-free, whatever, like uh, tax deductible donations from people. Um, and, uh, we went and made this movie, but Brian really taught me like the, the ins and outs of like, of story and story structure. Like you go through like an undergrad fiction program, maybe it's better at like Ivy League schools or something, but you know, University of Pittsburgh, like I definitely developed as a writer, but like nobody talked about like the architecture and the mechanics and like, you know, of, of what goes on behind a story and like how to actually build a story and tell a story, um, it was more kind of like read these examples and like, we'll talk about them and workshop them, write your own stuff. And we'll workshop those, you know, kind of go back and analyze your own work. 
but there was, you know, the, the stuff that like you get from screenwriting, which is like structure first under, you know, really understand the structure and then figure out the story, you know, understand the story as well and what story you want to tell, but you got to figure out like, you know, I don't think it's any different for any other creative practice, right? Like there's a three act structure for stories and you can be really creative with that, but there's ways that you frame photographs that really work. And there's, there's ways that you uh, structure a painting, you know, especially if you're drawing or, you know, painting from life or whatever, but there's, there's underlying structures that help you achieve what you're trying to do artistically. And, and I didn't get any of that in college. So he wow. gave me all the right books to read and like in making the documentary was the first attempt for me at doing that. So like both in thinking through, you know, what's the script for the film before we did all the interviews and then in post as we were editing everything we got, cause it was like, you know, yeah. completely different from what we thought. Sure. So then like almost like rewriting the script and figuring out like which, which veterans are going to go into the film, like which parts are the right parts at the right moments and like build, building the film in, in post-production. Um, so that was like, and, and I would have never gotten it. I don't think I would have gotten any of that or it could have taken me yeah. decades before I came across that, or who knows, maybe I would have given up film and writing and everything, you know, had I not gone to the Marines, I maybe I would have gone out to LA. It would have been really hard. And I would have been like, you know, fuck it. Like I'm just going to go get a job. Right. But well, you, if, know, you don't know. If nothing else, it's a great differentiator because it puts you on a path that only you have only you. Yeah. I mean, certainly there's a lot of combat veterans, but only you have had the experiences that you had in combat right. and have internalized them the way you've internalized them. So mm-hmm. I, I think there's a differentiator there that yeah. many artists, I think, envy because they would look and go, oh, well, I was going to film school and I was doing this and I now have to try to manufacture something out of whole cloth. Um, whereas you've got a reservoir of experiences to draw from and things you're trying to unpack. So your material is kind of laid out for you in certain ways. Is that, yeah. you think that's fair? I think so. But that, but that's just my, but everybody has an experience, right? Even if you're not in the military, you know, and it, it just so happens that like, you know, I've got, I've got that part of my own story to draw from, but yeah. I, I think that's, I think that's true for everybody. Like everybody goes through some shit. I, th- I think definitely everybody goes through some yeah. shit. I, I definitely don't yeah. think it's always at the heightened state of a combat deployment. Sure. Um, you know, where sure. I think it's like, yeah, got it. It sucks. You're living with six roommates and you're all sharing one bowl of rice of, you know, lucky charms, but yeah. <laughs> you know, and that sucks, but like, is that grist for the mill for, yeah. you know, tons of plays. Feels like great. Plays and all that. Yeah. It feel, feel, feels like, like really, uh, really, really great, uh, you know, Source material for some comedy, though. <laughs> right, right. Writing, I guess. Right. You're trying to, or, you're trying to do hard, you're trying to do hard drama. That's probably a really tough uh, scenario to pull from. But well, no. So I mean, yeah. it's, it's kind of yeah. as I was saying that I was thinking of like, uh, was it the the Brad Pitt scene? And no, was it True Romance? What was the one where? Oh yeah, Tarantino yeah. wrote yeah, it, yeah. and he's like the stoner. Yeah. Like it's like yeah. okay, well there you go. There's your there's your opportunity to yeah. slip that in. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I. Uh, I, I'm glad you said everything you did about Chosen. I was going to ask you about that and how that mm-hmm. came about, because that seemed like an incredibly um, auspicious debut. Like, oh, that was, a, that was a hell of a thing to come out of the Marines and open with creatively. What did it do mm-hmm. for you um, as far as your writing technique going forward? Did it make you more... I don't know if the word is rigid, but it did make you kind of be more disciplined about format, structure, things like that. Um, and did you find that firmed you up going forward as a writer or did it find like that was a one shot, 
you know, one, one time opportunity and, you know, didn't really replicate itself. No, I mean, I think it, it definitely did. Like it, it gave me a, a different level of, de- of discipline approaching writing for sure. Um, and the interesting thing is like, I, I got really good at the, you know, like that, the architecture of story. Um, and like, I could knock out, like you, you know, it was like an idea would pop up and like, I, I could bang out like a three act structure pretty quick. Like you give me oh. an hour and a couple of cups of coffee. And it's like, I could, I could see the story and I could, you know, start like that structure would give me the ability to think through all the things that could happen. And I could do like a couple different versions pretty quick. Um, but you know, outlines are totally different from like writing the actual thing. Right. You know, you can write, you can outline a, whatever, a 300 page no- novel or whatever, but it doesn't mean you can write a 300 page novel. Right. Like you could know all the things are supposed to happen, but getting into the weeds and, and putting the story down, like the real story is a different thing. And I found that uh, that part had like left me from college. Like I try, I try, like I, one of the, one of the paths I considered was like, Oh, maybe I'll go back to school and go get like a, an MFA or something. Yeah. Yeah, and I and I wrote a, a couple of pieces and like I sent it to uh, a college, one of my university professors I stayed in touch with, and you know, everybody, it, it was it's like I'm I'm pretty good at hearing the uh, the line behind the line, but she's like, you know, I really think you should you should submit the stuff you wrote as an undergrad would be like, you know, I think that would, and I was like, fuck, like okay, this sucks, like it's bad, it's like really bad, and uh, so like and I and I didn't write for a while, and then. Uh, I think it was like 2015. I got done. I went and got my MBA and I got a job at Bloomberg. And um, I just like, I had just had like this itch. I had to do something creative and I just started uh, writing again. And I made, I was just determined, like, I'm just going to write. I don't know what I'm going to write, but I'm going to write. And uh, I just like, I would wake up really early before I went into work. I would grab mm-hmm. a conference room at lunch and like mm-hmm. go. And it was just like hundreds of pages of just like really bad stuff. Uh, and I didn't, I wasn't cognizant of it at the time. Like it didn't, it, it probably wasn't even until like recently, like the past few years uh, where like there was an epiphany, but like I was so disconnected from myself and my emotions yeah. from my experiences in the Marine Corps that like everything I wrote was flat. It was derivative. It just didn't have like, it had nothing behind it. Like there was no emotion behind it. Interesting. And even though like structurally things made sense and like the plot was, it's just like, there was just nothing there. And uh it took, I think, geez, probably until honestly, until the like the, the arts and the armed forces competition, um, like was a kind of a turning point writing wise, um, because uh, you know I remember when they announced it. Like my wife and I were at their annual NYC event we go every year, and they announced it, the thing, and she was like, oh, "You should like in the theater." She's nudging me, and she's like, "You should write something." And I was like, I "Never wrote a play before. I don't." I, I guess I could, like, I don't know, like the deadlines in like, you know, four weeks or something. Like, I, I guess I could try. And I had a kernel of an idea um, based on, you know, people from back home in Pittsburgh, like, you know, thoughts, ideas, story ideas in my head. And uh, I was like, you know, I'll, I'll give it a shot. I'll try to make a story out of this and see what happens. And I read a bunch of plays. Um, I read, uh, there's actually a really cool book from this guy, uh, I think it's Samuel Raffleson. Um, okay. And I can't remember the, and I can't remember the title of it. It's like, it's like on playwriting or something like that. Okay. And it was like this obscure title that I found in a Reddit thread. And like that year they had just republished it on like Kindle direct. It was like, it had been out of print for decades. Wow. And it was this guy who taught a writing program 
And it's really about him almost like talking about how he ran his writing program. Mm. And what he did was like, he didn't, he just started having conversations in groups. It was almost like therapy. It was like, he was talking groups and he would talk to them individually. And it was like, cause everybody would come in and he, he said, he was like, yeah, I know there's one of my students wants to write like this crime drama. And it's like, well, have you, were you like in the mob? Was your family full of criminals? Yeah. Like what's your connection to this? Yeah. And, you know, and as he talked with everybody, it was more like, well, where are your emotional roots? Like, what are the things that like you, you feel like inside of you, whether that's a family thing, a political thing, like whatever it is that just like, whether it gives you like joy or rage or whatever, like you need to connect with that and just write a story about that. And it doesn't have to be a big thing. It could be a, you know, a family drama that happens in a kitchen. Like there's a hundred plays like that and they're really good. And um, I was like, oh, that's okay, cool. So I'll do that. I have a really deep emotional connection with where I grew up. I'll give it a shot. And uh, I was like a semi-finalist, which I was kind of like, okay, cool. So I don't totally suck. Like, <laughs> it's a step forward. I just step forward. And you did that um, in four weeks? About, yeah. I think I spent a couple of weeks like, you know, researching. But again, it's like, it's the emotional connection, right? This is yep. stuff that's bubbling up for yep. years. And you just yep. finally, you have, for some reason, things click into place and you spill it out. Um, and then, uh, the second year, uh, my wife and I took time off. We both kind of had like a midlife crisis simultaneously and like quit our jobs and we're lucky enough to have saved up some cash and decided to go backpacking for a year. And, uh, like the deadline was closing in again. I spent about a month, uh, actually trying to come up with any play idea that wasn't about the military. It was like, mm-hmm. I just, it was a weird thing in my head where it was just kind of like, yeah. It's expected. Like they yeah. expect that you're going to write something about the military. It's just like, well, I, I don't want to, like, yeah. I don't want to, but that's, that's all that kept coming up in my head. It was like all these ideas around my experiences. And I think it got down to like two weeks before it was due. And like, we were actually doing an overland trip in Africa. So like in the back of this, this, this truck with a laptop and I, like, I, I banged out like a 70 page script in two weeks and like hit spell check and hit send. And I was so pissed off. I was so, I like, I had every voice in my head telling me like, you don't deserve to share this stuff. You shouldn't be writing this stuff. Like you shouldn't, you know, this is like, you're bastardizing, like whatever you've been through and what other people have been through. And uh, I think later I realized that like, I probably was even more angry at myself because I didn't really finish it. It was like a 70 page draft that I didn't, you know, but I, I was a semifinalist and the note behind the note was really like, Hey, there's more to this story. Why don't you finish your fucking script and send it back to us next year? And so, uh, so that's what I did. It was like, I, towards the end of the next year, I busted it back out and I really thought it through, uh, rewrote it and added a lot of extra stuff to it. Um, and, uh, and then I won that year in 2020 and, uh, I'll tell you, I mean, even after sending it, like I'm, you know, it's the the stuff that was in it, although like fictionalized, some stuff is like fictionalized or pulled from other stories and some of it's from me, but like, uh, you know, it, it allowed me going back to the whole being disconnected thing. It was like, it was the first time I had uh, expressed any of the stuff, any of the back and forth inside my own head, my own heart. And like, uh, and it was, it was huge to do that, but then it was also huge to then that generate conversation with other people. Like once mm-hmm. it was out of my head yes. and on a piece of paper and, uh, to be able to talk with the folks at ATAF and the artists that they brought in to help me develop the script. Like, you know, COVID was going on. So they didn't have an award ceremony that year. They couldn't do a reading in person, but they, they basically set it up. They were like, Hey, there's a lot of creative people who are like, 
not working right now. So they're really prone to like jump in and like help on this stuff. So, uh, and, and Kaufman, Mm-hmm. who just directed uh, Sarah Silverman's new yeah. musical. Like she volunteered to kind of like take me under her wing for the summer and like help workshop it. And they got some amazing actors to, to get onto like a two, two Zoom readings. So we did two rounds of like hearing it read out loud, which was huge. Like I never heard anything I wrote, read yeah. or performed by actors at all. So like to hear where things were working and not working yeah. and go back to work for a couple of months on it and then do another reading, uh, was just huge. Um, and it's, uh, you know, not only did I become, I think because I was allowing myself to become connected to my characters and listen to my characters, it's kind of like you start listening to yourself and like opening mm-hmm. up things to yourself and then willing to share that with other people and like, listen to the, it's, it's a whole, it just opens up all these pathways to dialogue, like internally and externally, I think. And, sure. um, so it's, it's funny, but it's like that, it all came down to just that one opportunity, you know, with ATAF for some reason, the play, the play format really clicked with me and it, it, it clicked in the competition forced me to write about the things I was actually trying to avoid writing about. So um, I want to ask you about that. Cause, cause when I read the play, I mean, it, my initial thought was, holy crap, this guy is unpacking and unloading a lot of <laughs> pent up feelings. But what was remarkable is that you didn't make it, at least it didn't appear that you were making Mm -hmm. it semi-autobiographical. You didn't cast a young Marine infantry officer as the Mm -hmm. lead coming back home, going through the, like, I I was like, okay, so where did Miriam come from? Where did this female MP officer come from? Why that story? Why those, the devices that you put in? Because it didn't seem like it was all like I was was sure it was based on people, but I was like, it it definitely was not the predictable path of unpacking wartime experiences. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I guess I, I mean, part of that is, um, I guess it was sort of like, what's, I would say, honestly, if I was going to be super, super honest, I think the fear was like, I don't want anybody to think this is autobiographical. I'm already terrified to put this stuff on the page. Interesting. And like, what, what, and what is like the first, you know, who, who would be a combat vet that is the furthest thing from a, from a Marine, a male female or a male Marine infantry officer. And it would be like a female MP from the army. And I did research about like those units and like where they were, where they were stationed and like, you right. know, the deployments and kind of like the career path for that. Yeah. And it allowed me to create some, you know, some backstory of like, so where would Miriam have been at these different parts during the Iraq war? And could she have been going back for these different, and it was like, yes, like you can see the, the MP units and the missions they have, which actually were not that dissimilar from what Marine infantry units were doing. Sure. Like they were, they were, they were training Iraqi police. They were doing security patrols. They were, they were doing convoy, convoy security, like all missions that we had. And it's like, she would, so a female MP officer in, in the army, like, well, that's not like the poster that wouldn't go on like the the Hollywood movie poster probably for like the Iraq war movie. Like they were seeing the same shit we were and they were going on the same missions and doing the same kind of work. Um, So anyway, so it was probably mostly out of fear, but then it was great for me as a writer because like now when I write, I, I love to choose characters that are so far away from who I am, like just situationally or like in the world. And it's, it's terrifying because you know, you can completely get it wrong. Yeah. But like it forces it forces you to dig deeper or it forces you to do a little bit more research 
and like it's uh and, and you could still then put it out there and right. totally get smacked down for for your portrayal or for you know whatever choices you made creatively uh well, you know, yeah, that, like that, false. that made me wonder then i mean where did you hear how did you hear her voice in your head because that would be my fear if i was i like i love the logic of having her as this kind of cloaking device to to mm-hmm. hide behind which to me makes perfect sense but then my fear would be the dialogue going i i don't know what she sounds i don't know what she sounds like if it's not me and all i can do is right. if she's my avatar then i'm going to be inserting my words into her mouth which is going to be mm-hmm. maybe not seem completely organic what did you do about that or how did you overcome that or was that an issue did you just hear her voice anyway regardless yeah i mean i i, I mean I, I guess i heard her voice regardless okay but like you know i i think it's just like any anything else like you just try to walk in somebody else's shoes like when you're a writer right because you can't all your characters can't be carbon copies of yourself sure, sure. so um i it, it's hard to say that there was any kind of a process or like okay. a logic behind that because it really wasn't it was just it was just like you know um, imagining that you are that person and like or just uh, i don't know like we could get into like the whole flow thing and whatever and it's right like right right the conversations start rolling and you're hearing everybody talk at the same time and you're just typing as fast as you can to get those words down and like yep you just kind of get inside of your characters and and they start talking to you and, and telling you what they they want to say and and often the times where you try to put words in their mouth, then it like you're like, oh, that really sucks. Like yeah, that, I, yeah. I really, I really shook. Which was, it's there's still stuff like that in the script that I probably need. I probably need to cut out at least, you know, another ten pages of stuff that's probably not. Well, it, it's interesting because I, um, yeah, with so many of the characters, I could assume that you saw, heard you know, and, and we're just feeling them like they were based on people and you knew the syncopation of their speech. You knew exactly how this stuff was going mm-hmm. to play out. Um, uh, their, their, their word choice, all, all those kind of things. Um, and I'm just amazed that, that it felt seamless with Miriam and then to find out that it was kind of top down directed and, uh, it wasn't organically necessarily coming from somebody that you knew that that's just remarkable to me. Um, that, that uh, didn't come well. across robotic or formulaic. Well, but I think the other part is like, like, sure. Like I, I wanted her to be, I guess like, you know, I mean, she's the protagonist. So like she, she is probably going to be more than any other character. The one who kind of like uh, gets across the, the main themes and, and the things that are supposed to come out of the story. Um, but no, I, I, it wasn't like she was totally fabricated. Like I, I, I served with, or like have known enough women who've been in the military that like, it was not, it was not hard to find inspiration from, you know, uh, like women I had served with or just was friends with that. I, you know, we never were in the same unit or sure. even in the same branch sure. of service that it wasn't, it wasn't hard to find inspiration okay. um, for that. Um, you know, and the same for all the characters. Cause you're right. It's like, there's a, there's a little bit of somebody or multiple somebody's in all those characters sure. or people that I've known. Sure. So. What did you find? Um, was the biggest change between your 70 page draft and your fully fleshed out play? Um, I think the biggest thing is that uh, like I did not have, um, I mean, there's, there's several scenes that are completely new, but um, Chris, the the soldier who died under a command that she felt responsible for, um, he 
he did not appear anywhere except for in like the emails and like, you know, with his sister, like those were the only scenes where he showed up. And I, uh, I, I, and having him come back as sort of like, uh, in, in small flashbacks or, or imaginings that Miriam has, um, or, or even that, um, Jen, his sister has like, he's kind of, he's kind of this ghost. That's not a ghost really. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's like, it's, it's inside of them. It's a, a theatrical representation of, you know, somebody that's that li- still lives inside of both of them. And which I think is, is true for not just the military, but anybody who's ever lost anybody. Yeah. It's like, yeah. you know, like, every, you know, if you lost a grandparent, like, they, like you can still hear their voice. There are still moments where you think about them or if there's any other person in your life that was a, an influence, like, yeah. you know, they're still with you. Um, so, so using that a little bit of a, as a device to, um, a, like, you know, bring that inner conflict that Miriam was having like, to the stage even more. And, um, to show that like, that was kind of like the connection between Jen and, and Miriam was like, this young man, Chris, who was Jen's younger brother and served under Miriam's command. And it was like, they, they had both different relationships, but they were both responsible for him in a certain way. Uh, you know, and, and he was lost and one, one person was crying. They were both crushed by it, but like one of them felt ultimately responsible because she was responsible for him there in in Iraq. Um, so that that was the biggest change was like bringing him more into the script to to be a glue between these two parallel stories that were happening. Interesting. Um, yeah, it's uh, I won't totally nerd out on the script just yet because I feel like yeah, everybody listening would be like, "What the fuck? Wait, what? Can we just see the thing <laughs> at this point?" Uh, and they kind of be left in the dark. But um, yeah, it was. So I'll, I'll, t- I'll let me instead just give you my reaction. Uh, just because it's a privilege to be able to talk to the writer and actually tell, tell them what you thought. And um, mm-hmm. I fucking hate dramas, dramas drive me mm-hmm. nuts. Cause I'm like, cause it, it's um, I think for plays it's uh, there's so much wiggle room. There's so much latitude and there's so much schlock in, in dramas, mm-hmm. in the play in plays that, um, you know, and it, I think we had, got close to forget how many i want to say 180 190 submissions that i'd read wow and um that's awesome and yeah it's it's awesome i mean my brain was was a big wet noodle all during the month of january i was just like oh my god i'm i so when i it's like another play and you're like oh my lord and um but but obviously the catch is uh and it's funny because we ended up awarding so many dramas uh, and and it's that you know the cream's going to rise to the top, and regardless mm-hmm. of what what genre you're writing in, uh, you know it's. Uh, I mean, the thing I remember most specifically with yours is that you got me, and I I lost it three separate times um, in there. Oh wow! And it was like, um, it, it was just an incredibly moving uh, piece, and and I mean, yours obviously is a is a piece that from a producing standpoint you know, you wince a little bit because you're like, ah, could you please get this down to three or four characters, you know? And, uh, and you're, and you, you look at those kind of things. And, uh, and I was like, son of a bitch, he's making this work. Uh, oh, that's, that's, oh God. Okay. All right. Oh, that's yeah, the, that's the best compliment you can give me. <laughs> it works. That's it. That's all I no, mean. no, it really was. <laughs> it, it's so effective. And you're just going, oh my God, he actually, he's using every 
um, like there's there's no uh, fat in it. He's using every mm-hmm. piece uh, of the the carcass, as it were, in, in the in the piece, and that's uh, is is incredibly effective and um, and you. moving. And uh, I was saying that with an eye towards going somewhere, and I got to remember what that was. Um, I think I think where I was going was uh, the subplots and all mm-hmm. that that you that you integrated. It just felt like there was, it felt like it was a bit of a creed accord. It felt like there was mm-hmm. an awful lot you had to get off your chest. Mm-hmm. And, and to your point that you brought up earlier, I mean, I say this all the time. We don't, at our theater, we don't care about genre. We don't care about subject matter. All we mm-hmm. care about is who's doing the writing. And I look forward to when veteran playwrights are churning out, you know, or, or, or we're finding the next Noel Coward or whatever. But mm-hmm. initially, you're going to have to get the carbon out, out of the barrel. And that's going to be a lot of war stories and to tell them effectively and to be able to communicate that it's crucial. And and it just, we just know that's going to have to happen first. And, Mm -hmm. um, and that's what this was. It felt like there was so much that was getting unloaded. And I wonder for you, my question is, Mm -hmm. do you feel the same way? Do you feel like, Hey, I got that off my chest, bitching drive on or, or are you like, Nope, that was one part of the diamond, but there's a whole other aspect of the diamond I want to mine over here as well. Um, and the mine being like military experience, or the uh, mine no, uh, like so any, mi- any, any, mining it, like, 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 like. Okay, I've, I've mined certain aspects of this mm-hmm. of the war concept um, or war stories. Let's just put it under a very yeah. vague general umbrella. And but I've got other ones. I've got other things I need to unpack. I've got other stuff I want to say about this. Or do you feel like you're done with it and you're like, nope? that captured everything I feel like I need to say right now. No, I mean, I think, um, I would say both. So it's like, okay. I, I feel, I, I feel like there is so much that happened over that 20 year war that is like, just like, like we, nobody's bothered to look at it. Like really like, no, like there is, there's so much at like, a geopolitical level, a national mm-hmm. level, mm-hmm. like a personal level, there is there is so much that went on in those twenty years that has just like not been discussed or brought up in popular culture, other than like you know, uh, I don't know, a, hand, a handful of movies, yeah. some of them which are good, some of them that are bad, um, not a lot that have been written by veterans themselves. Sure, um, you know, so. I, I think there's still a lot to explore there and it's probably something that I will always not always go back to, but I, there's still other things I think to, to discuss. And I, I will go back to that mind probably a handful of times and kind of already have like, mm. you know, there's other, there's other stuff. And, and I'll be honest, like even like the military has always been such a part of the fabric of my own life, whether that was family members who served or people in the community. It's just like, there were always veterans everywhere. And like, that was also a part of like signing up was it was, you know, the veterans that I knew in my life as a kid, like they were a little different from everybody else. And like, they typically were people who spoke to others with respect and with like tact and Mm. that seemed to have a certain level, level of control of like kind of who they were and how they, how they communicated with people or a certain level of respect that they you know, you'd say that people gave them respect, but you could see that they gave others respect. And, you know, there's a certain way they comported themselves that I always felt drawn to them. Um, and uh, now it's my turn to remember where the hell I was going with this. But 
but uh but yeah I, I, but you feel I, like you'll come I, back to that though you feel like you'll come, come back, back to this yeah 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 i can like there's just there's yeah there's there's too much to to say or to to pull out of you know the veteran experience or the military experience minor or others i, I actually want to want to go a little deeper into your experience in the marines um mm-hmm. because again coming out of the university of Pittsburgh where you'd won. And I, I don't want to gloss over this cause I know it's an yeah. accomplishment, but to have won two mm-hmm. prestigious writing awards there as, as a fiction writer um, to suddenly disrupt your artistic battle rhythm to go into mm-hmm. the Marines. How did that strike you? Did you start to get an itch artistically after a year or two in, did you do anything about it? Did you, did you keep writing in any way, shape, or form? What was? How did you scratch your artistic itch while you were in the Marines, or did did you not? Was it a complete hiatus until you got out? Um, I, I tried to write a few times, or just to like keep notes, or like a like I could I just like it just didn't work. It was like I, yeah. I just yeah. couldn't connect with it, and I just didn't. And and honestly, like part of like being in the Marines also was like you know, I'm uh, I, I was always. Sometimes there were, there were times where like, I would look around and be like, how the fuck did I get here? Like the people yeah. around me are so good. Yeah. And like, there's such a high caliber of, of human being that I'm, I'm serving alongside. And it's like, and to keep up with that or to feel that I was like earning my place there. It's like, that's, that's all I focused on the whole time that I was on active duty where it was just like, I can't afford to do something else or give up any other time or any other brain power or it's it's kind of like it's like i have to you know especially because it's kind of like uh if you're an officer then like a, a large part of your job is empowering other people to do their work and it's like if i'm not spending 101% of my time enabling that then like i am getting in their way and i'm failing them and i'm not being a good leader and i don't deserve to be here i have to do that every day or like it's going to you know you know, then what, you know, if I'm not doing that, then what the hell, like, why am I wearing this uniform? Yep. yep. So it became, yeah, I just kind of, I didn't put much into it. I would say the only thing that I did, I, uh, I also like DJed for a short period of time in college okay. and, uh, like, like drum and bass and a little bit of, a little bit of house. And I took my turntables with me out to California. And so like that, that's, it wasn't really like creating, creating, but like just spinning records and, and like, my room by myself for like an hour or something like that was really that was enough to feel like i was blowing off steam like it didn't it didn't require a ton of creative effort it was just just listening to music and like yeah. letting your brain process stuff and uh now, now you also draw don't you don't you sketch too i did i did it's been a while since i've yeah okay. i tried to get back into it a little bit like a few years back but uh, and i still doodle or whatever but uh i'd say as a as a like a serious hobby or anything. It's, right. Yeah, it's not really there right now. Were, did you do any of that in the Marines when you were in? No, no. not really. Okay. Yeah. Like right. I said, so like really I just kind of tables or nothing. It was, yeah. no, that, that was, that was it. Like occasionally yeah. spinning some records and that was, that was it. When did you feel, um, I, 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 I mean, I'm going to kind of ask this in a really mm-hmm. vague and non-specific way. Cause I'm, I've, I've never really tried to articulate this, but I feel like there's a moment and maybe it's not a moment, maybe it happens over a period of time where um, veteran, the, the term veteran or your picture of a veteran is no longer 
abstract and is no longer relegated to other people where suddenly you're mm-hmm. like, oh, that's me. Oh, mm-hmm. I'm here now. When did you feel that? Or if that makes sense, if, if you can relate to that feeling. Um, I think maybe the first, uh, literally, it was like the first time I think coming home from Iraq, like getting off the plane in California and like the doors open up and there was a bunch of people waiting there. Half of them were like Korean War and Vietnam War vets mm. that were like wait, wait, waiting there to like greet us on the tarmac. And they had, you know, it was like, what, 2004. So like, you know, they had little cell phones. You could like, as soon as you got the plane, call somebody you wanted to talk to. They had like donuts and coffee waiting and like people from the VFW. And they're coming around saying like, oh, you know, sign up for the VFW. It's official. Like you're in the club. Like you can, oh, you can yeah, and, yeah. And, and it was like, it was like, oh shit. Like that's, yeah. Like the, the guys that you, women that you see at like the 4th of July parades and Memorial Day and, you know. No, just because like you see them walking around the street or come to the school on like career day to talk or what it's like I'm kind of like one of those one of them now I, yeah. I don't know it was and I don't know that I like it just kind of sunk in a little bit and whenever I got home after that first deployment, funny enough, um, my parents' neighbor uh, my mom knew him he, crazy small world, but it was like he had like dated her sister like way back in the day and he was a trucker that worked for like my grandfather. And he's like an old bike, old biker, Vietnam vet and everything. Yeah. And, and, uh, like the day, the first day I came home, it was like, he came down with like a thing to sign up for the American Legion, and the VFW, like in my hometown. He's like, he's like, that's it. He's like, here, dude, like, I want you to, yeah. Wow. Like, not that I was home that often, but like, you right. know, right. he's like, don't worry, we'll wave your dues. Like, just sign up. We want you, we want you to come down. God. Yeah. It's and, a, uh, it's, it's a funny thing. Um, I that that sense of of this is, I, I, I'm hesitating because I feel like it's gonna come out wrong when I say it, but that sense of um, I'm I'm the one that I, I'm part of that group that I was mm-hmm. idolizing or myth making about mm-hmm. as a kid, and and that sense of that, that now suddenly it's on you, and and obviously there's sort of a disillusionment because you're like, Oh, I'm not that special after all, but there's also a sense of, but I now know what it is that was special about this group that made them stand out to me when I was outside the group. And, um, I think that's a, um, I think that's a very interesting dynamic, especially artistically. And especially because you and I are now talking as though everything in your life was fait accompli. Like this was just, yeah, you were a great writer. You went in the Marines, you got out, you did this movie, then you got these plays going, but it isn't like that. Did you feel at a certain point, like your life had turned a corner and you're like, yeah, I, I used to write back in college, but I'm focused on being a Marine officer and this is going to be my path going forward. And you could make a career either out of the Marines or going into the alphabet soup or, you know, do it. You know, did you think, Hey, Hey, this is like, I am not the same Anton that I was six, seven, eight years ago. And um, my life is just going to look different. Just the baseball card stats of my life are going to look very different. And, um, and, and I've really rounded the corner from who I was. Was there ever that feeling for you? Or did you Um, always know you're going to return artistically to, some manifestation of artist. Um, I mean, I, I don't think I knew anything at the time. Like it, it, okay. it honestly felt like I was just making decisions that I had to make. Like it, just, like I knew, 
I knew it was time for me to get out. Like I just didn't, um, I hadn't processed everything, but it was just like, I knew, I knew like the Marine Corps was not a, a long-term okay. career for me. Like I just knew it was, I, I went and did a B billet on recruiting duty down in Baltimore and uh, you know, which honestly, like uh, that could be like a whole, a whole other discussion, like how crazy yeah. recruiting duty can be. But yeah. uh, you know, I, I woke up and went to the office like almost every morning saying like, I wish I was going on patrol. Like it would be easier yeah. than doing this job. Yeah. And uh, you know, I just, uh, I, I got through that and there was a part of me that I hadn't processed yet either where like, um, and I, cause I was blocking out so much, but like, I didn't feel good about sending other kids off, especially when they were signing up for infantry and stuff. Like you see these high school kids come in and you're like, fuck man, you don't even know what you're in for yet. And it's like, they want it and they're going and it's their choice. But like there, there was a, there was a part of me that I just, I just buried that I was just like, this is my job and this is what I got to do. And like, there's no point in like addressing this or even thinking about it. And, uh, you know, so it was, uh, you know, I, it was just time to go. And so, I did do some, yeah. sorry. Yeah, go ahead. Go no, ahead. no, 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 no. Finish your thought. Yeah. You said, um, you just but, but yeah, but then I did, I, I like took a year off and in the course of doing chosen, yeah, I don't know. I, I maybe it was part of like just missing the camaraderie of being around Marines and like, you know, I, I was kind of like a, a bit alone out there. Like I didn't really have a path forward. And uh, other than making the movie, which, you know, used up all my resources, luckily, like, you know, it was kind of like a unicorn situation where like, uh, like we met a guy who was a former HBO executive who was former Navy like as we were just hustling, trying to find a way to like get the film like distributed, somebody set up coffee with him and uh, we, we hung out and talked and he was like, I want to help you guys. We we're like, awesome. And he helped us get it like sold to um, um, on uh, what's it called? Wow. My brain PBS, doesn't work right? anymore. No, no. no. So it was on, it was on uh, what's it called? Uh, one of the premium channels. I could probably Google it and look it up. <laughs> I, I can't sorry. believe I'm like totally. I'm totally forgetting right no, now. No, no, no. So, so, oh, like, uh, uh, is it? It's uh, yeah, yeah. Well, they got it on Prime anyway, Video now, but um, yeah, yeah, we put it up there. But anyway, okay. it got on. It got on premium TV, and then it got picked up by Hero uh, American Heroes Channel for the cable window, and we we did all of our own DVD sales and uh, got into some like libraries and museums and stuff and. Um, it did, it did really well and we were really, really lucky, but, um, you know, I, I, through that whole process, especially being immersed in like a Marine Corps story, it was just like, man, I miss, I just miss being around Marines. So I, I did some reserve duty for a few years at the public affairs office. Um, and then, you know, 2015 rolled around, it had been a couple of years and like, it was either, uh, you know, stay in, go to a, an infantry unit. They kind of let me sneak into the public affairs office because I was doing like media PR kind of stuff anyway. Mm -hmm. And like, yeah. uh, so I, I, I helped out there and, um, when it was kind of like, all right, well, this, you've hit your limit of how long you can do public affairs work. So you're, you're an O3, you got to go back to an O3 unit and like talk to some guys that were, you know, they were still getting deployed and, you know, piecemeal and stuff like sure. that. And I was like, I just can't, I think I'm, I think I'm done. I've done what I can do for the Marine Corps that like I'm capable of. And I, I just can't do anymore. So that's remarkable. So you didn't really have a plan. There was no master plan of like, you know, hey, yeah, I'm going to like I the, the thing I think I've said it on this show before, but there there was that 
it might be apocryphal story, but uh, of um, Wolfgang Peterson uh, mm-hmm. talking to film school students and saying, mm-hmm. instead of being here in film school, you guys need to go work, get jobs as prison guards, go do something really difficult. And he's like, then you'll be able to come in and direct the films you want to direct because you'll have all this life experience and appreciation of stakes and all this other stuff. And it was mm-hmm. kind of a very, um, probably not completely accurate, but fun uh, <laughs> little piece of advice. But you didn't have that plan. You weren't going, hey, this is adding to the, this rich tapestry of material that I will draw on artistically for the rest of my life. That wasn't really in your thought. You were just putting one foot in front of the other, really. That, that's it. I'm still kind of doing that now. Really? I got like, yeah, I got like a, t- I mean, I got like a t- 10 month old son. And it's like, yeah, it's like, yeah, I got, yeah, yeah. I have a very, I have, I have a very, very loose plan, but it's like, you know, it's just getting, getting through like one day, one week, one month at a time. And I guess that's maybe part of that is from, from being in the Marines and, and going through that is just kind of like, you know, don't like plan planning's invaluable, but plans are useless. Yeah. And it's like, you just, you just, you know, keep a loose idea of what it is that you're trying to do and be disciplined about it and just get ready for it all to blow up in the morning. Cause it's yeah. probably what's going to yeah. happen. Yep. So what is that like then for you now? What do you do? Do you make a point of writing every day, no matter what, just to keep the, the knife sharp? I mean, wh- what's your battle rhythm like artistically? Um, now, uh, especially since my son's been born, it's been, it's been more kind of like, uh, I'm actually got, I've gotten really good at writing on my cell phone on like a Google doc. So it's like, you know, if I've got like a half hour commute either way to, to work, like I'm, I'm writing on the train and like, if I can steal a couple of minutes like here or there, but like, uh, I guess getting really good at being able to kind of like, uh, get into the zone and get back out of the zone, like really quickly, huh. which it's kind of like not before, like I think about how I wrote before I was like, man, I was really not economical with my time. It's like, Sure. I'd have like all this, sure. I'd have all the time in the world. Like I go yeah. sit at a, co- hey, you know, I'm like, Hey, I'm going to go sit at a coffee shop for four hours this morning and, and just write all kinds of crap. And it's like, you get through four hours and you're like, Oh yeah, this page is pretty good. And like, now it's sort of like, you got 15 minutes, man. Like, yeah, like get it, like get in there knock out a page or two and like get out. And like, that's, that's kind of what it is now. Um, but it's good. It's like, I'm, I'm kind of learning a different skill set. I don't know that all of it's great, but I, I think the, the next thing is going to be probably figuring out like, how do I, how do I, cause you, the editing part and the revision part requires a bit more time and a little bit yeah. more focused effort. So, um, you know, I got to figure out that part of, yeah, my, and, my and, battle rhythm. And and is it plays still, or are you also writing fiction? You said you wrote, um, working on a nonfiction piece that you read the other day, but I mean, what is it that you yeah. find yourself gravitating towards? So I, I decided I was going to try to write a novel this year. That was, wow. That was the first thing, just because, like, uh, honestly, it's it's a matter of like function. Uh, like script writing software doesn't work on your phone, and it's like really tough. So it's just kind of like, well, I can I can you know let's give let's give prose a shot. It's been a few decades. Like, let's try it out. Um, and uh, I haven't had a lot of time to read or watch a lot anyway. But I you know I squeeze in reading, so I've been reading a lot of novels. And it's like, all right, let's get back to you know. 2002 and see if you can still write some like prose stuff. Wow. Wow. Um, and it's going awful, like horribly. It's yeah, just like, sure. you know, I'm, I'm like, you know, I'm like 90 pages in and I'm like, I'm pretty sure most of this sucks. But I'm just <laughs> going to keep plowing through it. Cause I said, I was going like, to try to finish, you know, even if it's something that ends up in the trash bin, like I'm going to, I'm going to write something. Do you um, take days off of writing or do you try to write? Every oh day? yeah. 
Okay. Oh yeah. Yeah. I definitely, yeah. Even before, like, I, I feel like, um, anytime I tried to be like really hard nosed and be like, I'm right. Every single day, like it, it only ended in disappointment and like anger at myself because it's like inevitably life happens and like, yeah. you just have stuff going on and it's hard to find the time. So like now it's sort of like, uh, I write when I can write, but it doesn't mean I'm not thinking about it. It's not, it doesn't mean that I'm not having conversations with myself about something I've already written and like mm-hmm. what edits could be better or, you know, thinking about a conversation between a handful of characters or something like you can, you can still write quote unquote. Yeah. You yeah. Know, if you don't have, even if you don't have a keyboard or a piece of paper in front of you, like you can still do that work when you have, have a little bit of time and a little bit of headspace. And sometimes, honestly, I, you know, if I go for a run or something, it's like, I do my best writing if I'm just, I'm out, out on like a little three mile jog or something. So what do you do? Um, do you stop and like go right to your Apple notes or, or like, what, what do you do? Yeah, I, I try to, I try to hold yeah, I try to hold it all in my brain until I get back home and then like so you, jot so down some notes and stuff. <laughs> you're you're that guy that comes walking through the door and can't talk to anybody because you gotta get right to the computer yeah. to like download all your stuff. Yeah. Um yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah. No, that I mean that that's that's uh completely understandable. Where are you finding your inspiration though? Where are you drawing from? Do you make a point of kind of filling up your gas tank and going out and going, hey, you know something, I need to travel a little bit or I need to yeah, I don't know, research this or go talk mm-hmm. to this kind of person or, or is it just stuff that you're still pulling out from your own experience and from your own head and you're just getting the scent back and, and being able to just chase mm-hmm. that trail again, creatively. Yeah, I think it's, a, yeah. I mean, I think it's part of it is, um, I mean, at least for me, you know, like the whole ATAF playwriting adventure like for me like that the big thing is like always connecting it's like it's like human stories like what are the who are who are the people that like you for some reason there's something about them that like makes you really curious or want you want to know more or like yeah. inspires you or makes you angry or whatever it's like what what is it about somebody in real life or some situation in real life that is that is making you think about that thing or that person and uh or feel something, honestly, more than anything is like, is it making you feel something? And it's like, then kind of like pick at that and like, you know, un- unravel it a little bit and like see, see what else is there. Um, and I, I cannot possibly be the first person to say this, but like dawned on me, uh, the one day, like everybody always says like, write what you know, write what you know. And somebody brought that up in conversation. And I was like, maybe it's not right what you know, it's right what you feel. Like you might not know anything about that subject, right. but if like, you've got a, a deep, like emotional, something that, that wells up or that you feel like whenever you think about that thing or think about that person, you might not know shit about it, but like follow the, follow the feeling. Cause like the emotion is going to push you forward and uh, allow you to start connecting some things. Do you always find yourself starting, whether it's a play, whether it's a novel, um, do you find yourself starting with character or do you start with a scenario or do you start with an emotion or a feeling or an idea? Where do you find yourself starting? With? Um, uh, it could be any any of the above. Okay. I think like sometimes it, sometimes it's a character like um, you know like the 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 burrow. I think started with a, you know with a character. Um, I would say uh, you know local gods started with I guess just like a whole lot of a whole lot of feelings and like a whole lot of mm. ideas. And then like the, you know, the characters just took shape, like, honestly, cause I was running out of time. It was like, I had all these things I wanted to say. And it was like, I can remember like 
the original opening scene was Miriam and her husband, like in a barbecue. And it was just like, that's just what popped in my head. I was like, oh, I got to have them start talking. So I'm fine. They're to, they're to welcome home barbecue. And like, let's just go and see what happens. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, you know, and you start kind of like bringing characters into it to discuss the things you want to discuss and it starts to take shape. Um, and sometimes it is, it's like an idea. And then like, I, I will very kind of like uh, orthodox with somewhat orthodoxy kind of like outline, like, you know, how could this idea be a story and who are the characters in it? And Do you find that you have to outline first before you write, especially past chosen or, you know, now that you've mm-hmm. kind of done that you've, and uh, do you find that that's a necessary first step in your process or can you engineer that in later in the process? I think both. Like I, okay. I start with that because it lets me get the ideas out. And usually there's like several outlines. And then usually the story ends up not being the outline at all. Like, uh, you know, which is totally fine. It's the whole thing. Like the, you know, plan, planning's indispensable, but plans are useless. And it's yeah. kind of the same thing. Like don't, don't get married to your outline. But like if it lets you start making sense of the idea or the thing enough that it, it gets you started. And then like a, things start twisting and turning and making you know, your characters start making decisions or you have ideas that pop up that you didn't have before. Like just, you know, be prepared to throw out your original outline and start heading in another direction. That's fine. When you had the readings of local gods, what was the most surprising thing to you to now actually see the collaboration process mm-hmm. happening? And it was no longer all just your creation. What, what stood out to you? What did you take? What, what, what takeaways did you have seeing that? Um, I think the I think the, the biggest thing was like um, I guess like seeing the interpretation from the actors and what and like how they delivered it. Like I think in my head, I I I was really worried that it was like super melodramatic. And like I I know mm. like I know I, I okay, to your point. Like I knew that like I was like man, I really there's a lot going on in this play. Like I really kind of just crammed like uh, like you know ten pounds of shit in a five pound bag. And uh, I was like really worried it was going to be this melodramatic kind of schlock at moments. Um, but so I imagined I was like, well, if you play it kind of like subdued and quiet, like it could it could work, like you know, but it but it be a little more subtle. And the actors just really leaned into it, mm-hmm. and it it was like, holy crap! It's like they're making it bigger than what I thought, and they're making it bigger than what's on the page, and it's. And they're really making it work and they're bringing something from their own experience into these conversations that like I'm not seeing. And like, even um, uh, for the award ceremony, they finally had uh, once COVID was over mm-hmm. um, two actors, uh, Delanda Wise and Raul Castillo came back and uh, read a scene. It's the scene from uh, when they are talking at the monument and kind of like, having having a conversation about uh, their basically their viewpoints on like the war and also some personal stuff um you know i got to watch them workshop that scene before the reading mm. and uh you know the things that they were they were seeing in the characters as they were talking about like backstory that just wasn't in there and like feelings that these two characters had for each other and i was like holy shit like this is this is kind of amazing it's like i that wasn't what I was thinking. That wasn't what like, you know, I I, I thought was there, but but like they were bringing their own ideas to it and like completely changing like the, uh, I guess you could say like the emotion and like the subtext 
for a lot of the, a lot of the scene. And it was amazing to watch that. And it was like, it made me hungry. It's like, man, I would love to see this read by like a hundred, a hundred different pairs of actors sure, and sure. to see how it would come out because it, I know it would be different every time. Did you find yourself making a lot of changes to the dialogue after and going, Oh wait, that didn't strike me as that's great in my head, but it didn't work as mm-hmm. well hearing it out loud. Yes, definitely. Yeah. yeah. And like I said, there's still like places where I know I need to go in with a, like a hacksaw and just like probably cut at least another 10 pages out of it. Really? Where so, do you think? Yeah. Do you have any idea where? No, I mean, I think, I think honestly, like now we're going to get into the, I think. The, I know. The, now the we're going to nerd out. Yeah. People are going to be super like, frustrated. Yeah. What, yeah. You, yeah. what the hell are you guys talking about? Yeah. Um, but there's like a, you know, the bar scene, I think can get like way cut mm-hmm. down. Um, and there's just a lot of places where like, I think there are conversations that cover the same emotional ground as are covered in other places. So it's really just making a hard call and saying like, does it belong in this scene or does it belong in the other scene? Or like, you know, does this, this story that's being told in the dialogue need to be here? Cause it's kind of hitting the same emotional territories, you know, this other scene. Um, yeah, no, that, that, that completely makes sense. Um, mm-hmm. And again, for, for those that have not had the privilege of reading the script, <laughs> you'll have to take our word for it. That makes yeah. sense. Um, but how has playwriting struck you now that you've done two plays and they've been mm-hmm. both well-received? And I know it's hard to ask because you haven't had it mounted yet fully, mm-hmm. but do you, um, do you feel like you've been bitten with the playwriting bug? Do you feel like there's, is, is there, is there something you get from playwriting that you're not getting from other media that you're like, yeah, this is, this is um, something I would invest in again and go down that path again. Definitely. Um, I, I love writing in the medium because it feels like it's somewhere between like, uh, I would say like it's in the middle between like a, like a novel and a film. It's kind of like you can, it's all dialogue driven, but or maybe even TV is better because TV is more dialogue driven than, than film mm-hmm. is. But um, but you you can dig into ideas the way that you would in a novel. Yes. That you yes. can't in TV and you can't in film just because of the nature of the form. But in in theater, for some reason, that it just works really well. Maybe it's because everybody's in the room. And it's kind of like the same thing with a novel. If you're reading a novel or a nonfiction book, it's like you're making a conscious decision to sit down and read what's on the page. And it is between you and the book. And it's the same thing like in a theater. It's like you're, you can't get up. You can't go to the bathroom, run off to the bathroom or go get a snack while like commercial. It's like you are here and you were locked in and like you were, you were in for whatever the ride is. And you can have conversations. You can see it whenever you, if you can see plays that weren't fully adapted for the screen. They're mm-hmm. just like, oh, we're just going to do a play. We're just going to have the same, the same thing on screen and we'll change the camera angles. And a lot of times it doesn't work yeah. because it's not the same language. Yeah. And, uh, I, I love that about theater is that like in, in the live aspect of, you know, I, I, I love going to the theater and seeing whatever, whatever the thing is like play out in real life on stage, like yeah. right on, right in front of you. And uh, yeah, it's, it's just a, it's a really cool medium. And uh, I'm gl- I'm glad that I kind of like stumbled into it, so to speak, uh, or that I, I should- have, yeah, I wanted to ask you about that. Yeah, because you said that you were at the ATAF dinner and you'd been going to them. How did you know about it? What was your involvement with it? Why were you even there to begin with before oh. you even started writing a play? 
Oh, sorry. So it wasn't the dinner. They do the, um, uh, they, they do like their annual performance on Veterans Day or Veterans Week. Oh. Uh, like, I, I think lately they've been using the American Airlines Theater, but they, you know, they do their reading every year. And gotcha. uh, they, yep. they made the announcement there the first year. Got so, you, got you, got you. Um, and what did you think yeah, seeing those readings? I mean, did that, did you like the idea? Because I mean, the reading is a whole different thing because it's a reading. It's not fully mounted. Yeah. I mean, what, did it, the initial one, the first time you mm-hmm. went, did it turn you on? Were you like, oh, that's cool to see a reading? Or were you like, I, I can see the value in it, but it's kind of more academic. It's not grabbing me as much. No, I thought, I, I, I mean, it's amazing for all the reasons, like, you know, just talked about it's, yeah uh, okay you know and, and especially the just being in the theater and yep. uh i think what's really amazing is like for readings like performances are you know amazing too too but there's something about readings where it's just like you see these actors come in completely cold yeah or, or maybe they've done like one run through or they read the script like because you know they're, they're pros it's like they got a million things going on whatever it's like they show up at the theater you know probably a couple hours before they, or maybe they read the script on like the plane or like over coffee that day and they talked about it a little bit and then like they just go in there and they just kill it and it's and it's not a it's like not a quote-unquote performance right. but like oh but it totally is and it's yeah. it's so engaging to see somebody do that um and it, it was always always also cool because um you know they do the q a afterwards and it's cool to see them read things that are not about the military at all like they're reading plays that don't and that's kind of right. the whole point, right? Is it's like everybody has experiences and there's commonality in like the human experience, whether it's military or civilian. And yeah. Yeah. you can touch upon things uh, in the military experience that civilians are still going to like relate to and vice versa. And I think it's really awesome that that's, that's kind of like how it's set up. Yeah. Like, let me ask you about that. Do you find that people want to slot your work or put a spin on your work. Um, I don't want to say maybe artificially is maybe the best way to say mm-hmm. it, that people come in with biases one way or another. And that, um, well, you're, you're a Marine infantry officer. So therefore X, Y, and Z, or you're a, a writer. So therefore, mm-hmm. you know um, yeah, of course you're going to say this about the Marine experience. I mean, do you find that either way? And it, that, that just, People, when you're when you're a veteran artist, it seems like neither world understands the other. So both try to put their spins on what you, as an individual, are trying to say because you have both those labels. Do you find that? Um, I don't know. Do I? I don't. I don't know that I've like run into that. Like in at least not in like a creative. Uh, I don't know, like a creative space or like a, like I, yeah. I feel like. You know, I, I feel like that. And that's been like the, like I said, kind of the biggest thing is that uh, being terrified to even write about this stuff that I hadn't even spoken about. Um, and then to have a whole group of like non-military creative people like be open to, you know, discussing it and workshopping it and talking about it. Um, you know, that's, it, it, it kind of, I don't know. It, uh it helped a lot and, and like, it kind of made me realize like, you know, maybe I don't need to be so guarded about all this stuff. Mm. And like, you know, it's, uh, I, well, I guess we come back to it. So I was telling you before we jumped on about, you know, in my job, for example, um, you know, I wrote a, 
I was, I was invited to do like a talk at like kind of our marketing summit. It's like a right. eight minute Ted talk kind of thing. And I had like all these ideas cause I was, I was approached by a few people who run it. They're like, yeah, like you have like this unique experience in the military. Uh, you're creative, like, you know, there's gotta be something cool you could talk about. <laughs> and of course I'm thinking, I'm thinking like, I'm like, Oh, I could talk about, cause I'm like, I'm, I'm not a creative in my job. Like I'm a operations, like project management guy. And I was thinking like, oh, I could kind of talk about how like, uh, you know, creative structure, like directly transfers to like what I do and how it makes me approach problems and, you know, empathy and how that helps you like navigate conversation and like all this stuff. And I was like, man, I'm not smart enough to like actually get through eight minutes of this and like make it all connect and make sense. There's probably books on it already. And I ended up writing, uh, you know, I don't know why, but I, I wrote like a short nonfiction piece uh, that it covers the same ground as like, you know, that I had fictionalized this event or these events like in the play. And I had never written it as a nonfiction piece. And uh, it came out to like a page and a half. And I was like thinking about how, why this would matter or how I would frame it in that conversation. And um, quite honestly, I was like terrified to even do it. Like I was I, like the day before I called the guy who like was organizing it all. Cause he was like, Hey, if you're not like ready yet. Cause I was supposed to have like, everybody had like presentation slides and stuff. And oh, wow. like, I, yeah. I hadn't sent anything. And Jeez. he was like, if you know, if you don't delay for next year. And I was like, I told him where I was at. And he's like, no, you need to, like, you need to read this. This is like the kind of stuff where we want to talk about. And so, so I read it in, in front of a room of like a hundred colleagues who like, none of whom have been in the military yeah. and uh, talked about basically kind of like the story of what we just talked about that writing helped me reconnect with myself. And since I joined, went back to my, you know, this company I had worked there before, you know, I, I reconnected with some old colleagues and met some new ones and like everybody's had like a really hard couple of years, man. Like yeah, yeah. it's been really rough. And some people were so open about like what they had dealt with. I mean, just like, you know, we certainly don't have uh, in the military, like we don't, we don't have a monopoly on like hardship. You know? Sure. No, no, like, absolutely. One of the, one of the guys was like his, uh, you know, his sister had a, a disability. His father was a caretaker, passed away. She moved in during COVID couldn't get her into a facility. So it was like a hundred, he was a full-time caretaker kid of his own, like, yeah. you know, and, and it, it was just like, well, if he can be open and honest about that and he got through it, it's like, you know, you kind of realize like everybody here has been through some stuff and everybody's probably still trying to figure out how to cope with it. Mm -hmm. And so I, I kind of read the piece and it was just like, look, like if you're thinking about doing something creative, writing, painting, painting, music, crochet, like it doesn't matter. Like whatever it is that allows you to have dialogue with yourself, just do it and then find an audience. And it doesn't have to be a big audience. It could be like three other people who like doing what you do, but like it will, it will change the way that you, you know, are, are able to deal with whatever it is that you're trying to deal with. And it doesn't have to be hard stuff. It can be joy. It can be victory. It can be whatever, like it will, it, you know, it will change the way that, uh, that you process this stuff. And, and I don't know, it was, uh, I couldn't have done that like yeah. five years ago. And, yeah. uh, you know, so. Well, it's, it's funny. That strikes me that, that you know, I, I say this all the time um, about VetRep when I'm kind of giving my standard speech about us, that we're not here to help veterans. We're here because we believe veterans offer a solution to a problem. Mm -hmm. And the problem is yeah. just simply you know, the culture and, and, and putting more veterans into pop culture. But, the, but what the veterans inspirational strength is, is mm -hmm. um, comes from experience with extreme human emotion. 
having seen yeah. humanity at its most extremes. And that's certainly not relegated only to the military. But like My Dylan God. said, the best thing an artist can do is inspire. And I think veteran artists uh, that are seeing the light of day are very inspirational. And I think that's something that you're certainly tapping into. And it seems like you're probably, probably your colleagues at Bloomberg saw that, you know? Well, well, and I, th- I think what it is, is like, you know, I think what I was always afraid of is like, you don't just don't know how you'll be perceived. Yeah. Like when yeah. You, if you're honest, you know, yep. and you don't, cause you, you know, I absolutely hate probably a whole nother conversation, but like, I, I kind of, I kind of hate the hero thing. Like, sure. I think, I think, I think it's, it just, uh, it separates us even further from the pack and, mm-hmm. and like the connection that we need with non-military people. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you don't want to be perceived as like some kind of a victim or whatever, Yes, but you know, which yeah. is also horrible. Um, but what I, I found by, doing that it was just like it was like it was it was well received and there was no there was no like big thing about it it was just like it was like you know i shared what i had to share and left like a little bit of a piece of advice that was valuable to me and um and everybody's like super open to it and you realize you're like man every like there there isn't there isn't as much of a a divide as we perceive like we we just have to find ways to have a a conversation or a dialogue or open up and it's scary and it's terrifying and like you could end up with the wrong audience and have it really go bad yeah i i agree i think it's um it's a good point i think there is something to be said that any kind of interaction when it comes to the civ mill divide is personality based Mm -hmm. And mm-hmm. it, it depends if you're a dick, then it's definitely never going to help. But totally. I think if there's a yeah. natural humility that you have, you can, you can kind of message it. And I also think if all you ever do is have no shit there, I was stories, then <laughs> it, people are going to go, okay, got it, dude. But I'm, I'm just literally trying to run a subway really quick. Like I don't, I don't have yeah, time yeah, for all this, yeah. but, but, totally. um, but I, I do think, um, and it's funny, I, I don't, you know, one of the things I've kind of stumbled on an idea that I've stumbled on that I, I feel comfortable enough saying out loud. I may not have totally gotten the verbiage completely right, but I'm, I'm, I've become a, I've become a lot more aware of how dangerous a word veteran is because mm. veteran is inherently backward looking. It's about what you did. Mm. And that I think in our community so often becomes an anchor that prevents yes. veterans from moving forward because you're constantly being told you're a veteran. And it's like, great, I'm, mm. I'm pulling back again. And the veterans that use it well, that are functional veterans, which I do think is, I, I have no empirical evidence behind this, but I would, I, I would risk saying is a majority of veterans mm. are folks that understand when and where to the veteran status helps like, okay, I'll advertise myself as a veteran owned business or, you know, yeah, it's on my resume, mm-hmm. right. I'm not running away from anything. But just like, you know, if you went to Harvard, you'll mention it when it's appropriate, but you're not going to, you can't dine out on that forever. You're only as good as your last race and you got to move forward. You know, I, I, I think that's, um, and I say that because basically picking up on, on what you were laying out, I, I think, you know, when, when we do ourselves as a community, a disservice, when all we are is, um, war stories. And when I mean that literally when all we are, when Mm. that's all you're talking Mm -hmm. about, which is a difference between saying, well, Hey, this, at this one very select appropriate time, 
yeah, I do have something to say about this. And here's no shit what happened. And that's a very different thing from mm-hmm. beating that drum every day, day in, day out, right. you yeah. know, and it's like, oh my God, dude. Yeah, we got it. Right. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, I, th- I think, I think I, that's I think, something. Yeah. yeah. I think you're hundred percent right. It's uh, you just have to find the right venues to have the conversations, you know, I think so. that's over a beer or the colleague or if it's a right. full of people. Yeah. Well, and, and one thing I'll, I'll bounce this off you just cause um, I think we're kind of going this direction, but I've, I've heard from people and I think this is part of when you're making, when you're going around, you know, in a production capacity, kind of pitching an mm-hmm. organization, but I get a lot of feedback from people that are um, want to substitute the warrior for the artist mm-hmm. or substitute or are uncomfortable with the artist because they believe there should only be the warrior. And I think, and again, this is a, a maybe a little bit more than half-baked idea, I hope because I'm saying it out loud. Uh, mm. But I believe, I, I think, and I mean, I'm saying this as a question. I'm not pontificating. I, I want to get your feedback on this. I feel like the artist is a natural evolution of the warrior. I feel like if you've mm. walked that path, you owe it to yourself to to do something artistic because whatever it is, if it's sculpture, if it's mm-hmm. singing, if it's music, if it's a band, if it's writing, you owe it to yourself to be able to unpack your experiences. Otherwise your experiences die with you because not mm-hmm. many people want the no shit there. I was stories, but they mm-hmm. might go, Hey, that painting's fucking awesome. Cool. Then mm-hmm. that's what you're picking up on. Then that's what you, that's what your legacy will be. Then they'll, uh, people will understand a bit more about your experience because of that piece of art. Does that make sense to you? Does it, do you agree with that? Or do you yeah. see any, yeah, holes in that? I don't know. No, I, I think that's, that's like spot on. And and honestly, I mean, I would even push that a, a step further and saying, it's like, I, I feel like everybody owes that to themselves, you know, fair, you absolutely. Know, you know, yeah. You know, but, but, but especially like, you know, our, our community struggling, certainly struggling a little bit more than maybe, uh, you know, others, but like, you know, and it could save lives, mm-hmm. on, like, like, like yeah. literally, like literally could save lives yeah to to push people in our community to find that outlet and find that way of expressing themselves um but i think it's true for like everybody like it it really you know i could say people's lives outside the military yeah. too yeah that's right you know? that's right you know? and give meaning to it you know it's yeah. it's, it's passing down story you know it's it, mm-hmm. and whether or not it's writing but it's passing mm-hmm. on those those experiences and not everybody wants to or needs to be articulate about saying it person to person there might mm-hmm. be another medium that is that they can express themselves better. Right. And God knows, di- yeah. yeah. Like you know, it's a dialogue with yourself and you're putting yeah. it on the canvas yeah. and nobody else knows what the story is, but yeah. Like, yeah. if it allowed you to tell, you know, get it out of yourself, then it's, it's valuable. I'm, I'm, um, I'm glad we said all that and I don't want to get us too far afield from me basically using this interview, just to compliment you because that that's no. largely what it is. And I think I, I, I hope we have, I, I, I can't wait to see the next piece you turn out. I can't wait to see mm. more plays that you develop. Um, I'm, uh, I'm excited to see where things go for you from here. I think I, 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 I mean, I've enjoyed the hell out of talking to you, dude. And I, I, um, a huge fan Same. of your work and I can't wait Same. to see what else comes. Uh, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of what you're, you're doing with that rep. I mean, it's, it's pretty incredible. I mean, I, I, I found out about the, competition through the um uh through the dramatist guild mm. like their list mm-hmm. of of uh competitions and uh yeah i was just i was just kind of blown away i was like holy crap like somebody's 
somebody's really like somebody's like really building like a like a, like a theater and like a legit creative institution like around around the veteran community and it's it's so sorely needed um, i'm glad so, you said that well I, I hope so no listen it's been my pleasure and, and i mean honestly the pleasure is is getting to you know read your stuff and the stuff from folks like you and from veteran playwrights that are out there and hopefully growing a new tranche of veteran playwrights that that see theater as a viable option um and something that's worth exploring and um uh, listen the, the 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 juice is worth the squeeze it's it's been a blast to to go through yeah absolutely i, I can't wait to see what your your season looks like in all the future seasons because there yeah. are a, yeah i mean to your point you got what 190 scripts and it's sort of like you know part of it is getting the stuff on the page if you're writing plays or screenplays or tv or whatever and the other part is like actually getting it in front of an audience is is like a whole other mountain to climb Absolutely. you know and and it, and it, and it requires uh more than just yourself sitting in a room by your you know, alone typing at a keyboard. So it's, it's so awesome that, you know, you're going to start putting some of those artists works up on the stage for an audience. And um, yes. And I think we'll, we'll leave it at that for the time being, yeah. but yes, but more to follow. Um, and I, awesome. dude, I, I, you know, we're, we're, we're going to talk again in the dangerously near future um, on air, hopefully. Uh, but uh, in the good. meantime, dude, this was a blast. Thanks for, for taking it was, time Yeah, thank, thank you for having me. Yeah, really appreciate it. That was the savage wonder of Anton Sattler. Man, did I enjoy talking with him. What a great dude. Um, Really enjoyed getting to know him and hearing his backstory. I hope you guys enjoyed it as well. Um, Housekeeping stuff to talk about. If you like this episode, if you like the show in general, Hop on to iTunes, give us a five-star review if you don't mind, unless you're completely philosophically opposed to going on iTunes, in which case, fine. But if there's any kind of rating system on whatever platform you're listening to this show, we'd appreciate it if you just throw five stars out there for us. And you can say whatever you want to us, but the metrics do matter. So if you can throw five stars and attach that to whatever you want to say, we would deeply appreciate it. We have a lot of lines of effort going on at VetRep, and I want to take a second and just talk through um, all of them, really, just so you guys kind of understand um, what we are, why we are, all the things we're doing, et cetera, et cetera. All of this stuff you can find, all the lines of effort I'm going to talk about, you can find at VetRep.org. The best place to see what we're doing is to go to VetRep.org. You will see a Now Playing tab click the now playing tab and it will list everything currently going on with us. But just see here for me now, there are really four major pillars of what we do. One is our Savage Wonder Festival, which we just held on Memorial Day weekend for the first time. That will be a temple activity for us going forward. Uh, and by the way, I'm, I'm listing these. I know I'm attaching a number to them. This is not the order of priority. It's just I think they're all, probably all equal if I had to rank them, uh, but this is just the order they're coming to me. So first is the festival. Um, second, of course, the playwriting competition, um, which, and this is where we are different than many other playwriting grant-giving organizations in that we don't just look for plays to award. We look for plays to produce. Um, and we do award plays that, that we may not produce, but 
um, you know, our, our purpose is to produce plays um, on stage. So um, I kind of group our playwriting competition and our, or our actual play production uh, together since they're the beginning and end of the same pipeline. Uh, we will have in November, as you have heard me reference on a previous show, in November, we will have our Death Before Dress rehearsal 10-minute playwriting festival, which I am incredibly excited about. Um, so that will be a third tentpole in our season. That will be all veteran playwrights, 10-minute uh, plays. We are calling kind of the uh, curating sort of the best of the best 10-minute uh, plays, and and it is an incredibly subjective best of the best, I should say, because I, I, th- I think there were, I can't remember. I, yeah, I used to have this number a couple of months ago. I had this number right off the top of my head. I want to say there were 38 or so 10-minute plays that I was like, yep, I could put that up. Um, and I had to basically whittle it down to 18 so we could do a th- three straight nights, six 10-minute plays each night. Um, so that's going to be very exciting. I cannot wait for that to happen. Uh, and then the fourth temple is our most frivolous one, but it's also our most consistent and persistent one, and that is our live shows at the parlor here in Cornwall, New York, which are every Saturday night pretty much from April to December, where we really just do established plays, mostly comedies, because who wants to get bummed out on a Saturday night? Um, and uh, it's really our excuse to vet actors and go into the city. We cast actors. We get to know who we like, uh, who we want to see more of on stage, how they work. Um, I get some live reps at directing, uh, so I kind of scratch that itch. And... Uh, and then we give something to the community, uh, you know, with pay what you can tickets and what have you. So that's um, if you're in the area, any particular Saturday night, you're always welcome to stop by. We are, except with very rare exceptions, we are always sold out. So, um, but we always, or not always, there are a lot of times that we do have people cancel at the very last minute. So I always say it might be worth it just to stop by at seven o'clock on a Saturday night and try to see us and see if you can get in. But obviously, the safest thing to do is to book ahead. And you can do that, again, at vetrep.org. Go to our Now Playing tab, and you will see how to get tickets for our parlor on Quaker Avenue. Again, the website is vetrep, V-E-T-R-E-P.org, vetrep.org. I think that's everything you guys need to know about vetrep for now. I think so. Yep. Uh, So on that note, I will thank our producer, as always, Mike Neal for doing a great job making us sound halfway decent. I'm Christopher Paul Meyer on behalf of Veterans Repertory Theater. Thanks for hanging out with us. And we will see you next time to talk more about the savage wonder of it all.